You know what? In some uh, in some traditions, it is um, common to stand when Scripture is read. So why don't we stand and um, and hear the Word of God for us today? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, where they were staying in Jerusalem, God, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God created Jesus from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't, these all, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, parts of Lydia, your Cyrene, visitors from Rome, I can be wrong. Those Jews in commerce to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. (laughs) No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. So your response is, thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Uh, happy Pentecost Day. I know that seems kind of disjointed given what's on the screen. Uh, but today is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter Sunday. And that's what we're celebrating today in the Christian calendar where the Holy Spirit is poured out. Uh, we live in a consumer culture, right? Um, there, In our culture, there are consumers... And there are providers. And the providers try to figure out what is the service or the product or the commodity that the consumer wants to consume. Yeah? And whoever provides the best product, the best commodity or service wins, right? They get the money. They get the power. Um, which makes it such that, you know, our, our we hear all the time sure uh, that the customer, the consumer is always right. And the reason that the consumer is always right is because if the consumer doesn't get what they want, what will they do? That's right. They'll go find somebody else who will give them what they want, who will make the service or the product that they, um, that they want. And this saturates our culture, our, our consciousness. Um, I don't know if you guys remember... Back in 2008, I thought it was the, the most interesting thing. And I don't know a hill of beans about economics. I don't know if it actually worked or not. But maybe you got a check in the mail, like I did, from the economic stimulus package that George Bush signed in 2008. 
um, $152 billion in this package, $100 billion of which was distributed to taxpaying Americans with the explicit request and purpose that you go shopping. Y'all, anybody remember that? It was like a $300, $500 check, right? It said to all these American households, the point being, like, we're, we're a society built on consumers. And consumer confidence was low, which means spend, when consumers aren't confident, they don't spend as much. So we have to boost that up and give everybody a shopping spree so that they can stimulate the economy. It, it's so much a part of who we are. It's the air that we breathe. Um, so much so that it's easy for that kind of consumer mentality to enter into our experience of church. No. Right? Um, we, the, uh, the, the church member can, can become the, the consumer of religious goods and services. And church leaders become the providers who compete to offer the best goods and services and commodities religiously. The best programming. Because if the consumer isn't happy, what will happen? They'll go somewhere else. Just like we do when we decide to get an iPhone instead of an inferior Android. Right? Right? So so it can come into our, our culture. And we begin to see the gospel as this product that's being sold that meets our needs and benefits us, that we consume. And to a certain extent, honestly, um, that's true. Like we do, Jesus says, you will consume my flesh and my blood. Those who follow me will have me as a part of them. Like we receive something from Jesus, yeah? But this can go too far. This kind of consumer mentality can go too far because it's not the whole story when it comes to being a disciple. I was part of a large church once with a couple of really good preachers, like amazing preaching. And it was so great that I I would hear people talking about who's preaching this weekend because they'd rotate and there were also apprentices who preached who they weren't as good as the real preachers. I was one of those. (laughs) So they would talk about, so who's preaching? Is he preaching at this service or that service? And which one? Oh, he's not preaching. Oh, okay. I'm just not even going to go. Right? Like, have you heard stories of that where we, that it's a consumer mentality. Oh, that that won't be as good or as nourishing for me. So I'm going to opt out. Now, lest you think that kind of mentality is limited to megachurches with great Programming, hold on a minute. Because we can bring the same kind of consumer mentality into a small church that's community based. Heaven forbid, right? You know, in a, in a small church like Storyline, it's possible for us to have a mentality that says, you know, I really value community and relationships. And I can't wait to be a part of a missional community gathering so that I can get that community fix for me. I can talk to my friends. I can be around people that I enjoy, who like me, and, and I can consume a religious good or service there, right? Again, to a certain extent, that's not bad. That's okay, right? We're, we need to be encouraged and edified. We need to receive something from God, but that's not the whole picture. Uh, you might see it when, you know, for some of us, we like the, the up and the in stuff, God and disciples. That, that charges us. But when it comes to going out, that's uncomfortable, 
And so, well, you know, if I'm busy or tired or stressed, you know, I'm always going to go to up and in, but I don't know about the out. That could be a consumer mentality. For some of us, it's the opposite. We love the out. We love, oh, I mean, if we're serving, if we're doing something, I'm there. If we're sitting around talking and praying, I mean, come on, you know. We can, we can operate with this consumer. Maybe that's, I, I'll come, but only every once in a while because people make me feel guilty if I don't show up. These kind of consumer mentalities are, they're subversive. They're below the surface, but they can, they can operate um, in us. The trouble is, consumerism is an enemy of discipleship. Because a consumer mentality keeps us thinking always about ourselves what's building me up, what's helpful for me. And there is a certain extent to which we receive as disciples of Jesus, but there's also a part where we give, right? That discipleship has something to do with what we contribute, what we bring to the table. All right, so when we look to this text, we see, I had to, I had to do a little research on this because I didn't know exactly what all was going on, but... Um, like Charles was saying, Pentecost happens 50 days after Easter, but obviously back with the disciples, they weren't celebrating the Spirit coming on them the way that that's the way we remember Pentecost. But um, when it says in the story that God-fearing people, you know, of all kinds, have come together in Jerusalem, um, they were celebrating kind of a festival of the harvest, is what they called it, where people, it was a very important pilgrimage. Kind of think about what the Muslims do with Mecca. It was a very important pilgrimage for Jews to come to Jerusalem. And they would bring a sacrifice of wheat to kind of say thank you to God for their harvest. And the high priest would go and he would make a big sacrifice in the temple. And, and all the people would be around in the synagogues and the homes. And so when you, when you read this and it says, you know, all the, they were all gathered in this one place. And all these people heard what was going on. That was kind of the atmosphere was um, all of these people were in Jerusalem for this, for this festival. So if we look at Acts 2.38, which hopefully we have up here. Um, Peter replies, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So we kind of see that text coming to life here. And, and the good news is that this includes us. I mean, when you see the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, I mean, we are that people who are far off. Um, what does this mean for us to receive the Holy Spirit? Because the... This, I don't know how you grew up, but there's all kinds of like uncomfortable undertones for some people with the Holy Spirit. Um, but when we think about the Holy Spirit, I think we think of things like, I certainly think of the fruit of the Spirit, especially that song, um, and what that means. And you know, we pray for the Spirit, and the Spirit gives us peace or clarity about something. You know, I'm going to pray that God will give me the Spirit to know what to say, or that it will give me peace, or that I'll feel clarity about a decision. Um, but when we look at this text, all those things are true, but it's also really an assignment to the church, I think. That it's not just about I pray for the Spirit so the Spirit will come on me and it will be of some benefit to me, although I think that's a very important part of the Spirit. But it's more of also a a pouring out of how can the Spirit pour into me so that I can go out for ministry for the sake of the world. Um, We receive the Spirit not just so that it can fill us, but so that we can pour it back out to the world. So sort of like what Charles was alluding to, the consumer-producer thing. we don't just consume the spirit for our benefit, so that it gives up, just so that it gives us peace or clarity about things. But we receive it so that we can really produce something for the world, so that we can go out and, um, you know, and share Jesus with the world. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for all whom the Lord our God will call. So that, that's all of us. 
this text is also the foundation for passages like Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. I think we have some of those. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same work. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Um, so this kind of gives us a view of the church as, um, I think Charles said this phrase, every member ministry. That, um, you know, it's, it's easy for a church to be something where um, there's a leader who kind of tells you what to do and imparts the knowledge to you and then you go and do that. But I think we see in a lot of these texts that the Spirit is pouring out into you directly. I mean, I think it's certainly important to have spiritual leaders, but these texts tell us that young and old, male and female, slave and free, all of these people receive the Spirit. Not just so that they can feel good about themselves or feel like they have the Holy Spirit, but so that they can receive spiritual gifts. Some of these things we talk about, there's a great list of them. So you'll receive spiritual gifts to help build up the body out in the world, not just for our own end good. So um, let's talk a little bit about spiritual gifts, because in my opinion, um, spiritual gifts are widely misunderstood. Uh, There's a lot of misconceptions about spiritual gifts, Um, and maybe I'm crazy, and maybe I'm totally wrong, but I I might be on to something on the other hand, so, you know, hear me out here. Um, So when we talk about spiritual gifts, um, let me tell you what I don't necessarily think they are. Um, spiritual gifts don't necessarily equal strengths or natural talents. Think about the story of Moses, right? Some some of you, John was telling me about looking at the burning the burning bush text last week in um, uh, mission community conversation, and and Moses is called to be the advocate for Egypt, right? And he has a speech impediment. He's supposed to do a lot of public speaking, and his first four responses to God were, "I can't do it. I can't do it." I can't do it. And yet God calls him to do it. Something that's outside of his natural gifts or his temperament. It's not something he would choose, right? So spiritual gifts isn't always our natural temperament. Sometimes it is. Sometimes our natural gifts are leveraged um, for the benefit of the body. But sometimes God calls us outside of ourselves, outside of our gifts, and, and graces us, gives us strength where we would otherwise have weakness, the way he did with Moses to be the deliverer um, of Egypt. And this is really important because sometimes we can, um, you know, it's tempting to kind of play the card to say, oh, I can't do that because that's not my gift, by which we mean that's not my strength or my natural talent. And we can use that as a way of like um, uh, resisting spiritual formation that God might want to do in us. Because it's true that all of us, we're growing to be like Jesus. And inevitably, there's parts of us that need to grow more into the image of Christ, right? And one way that we do that is through spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us to serve the church for the sake of the world. Spiritual gifts don't also necessarily equal permanency. Um, In that 1 Corinthians 12 text, um, gifts are described as manifestations. So they, they appear... And sometimes they disappear. 
Sometimes they're longer term. People have callings or vocations from the spirit of apostle or teacher or prophet that are longer standing. But there are just as many gifts that are temporary. That the gift we're graced with gifts, with a gift to serve for a season or even for an occasion or for an instant. The Holy Spirit manifests himself through us, right? Spiritual gifts also don't necessarily equal upfront leadership. You know, like in a consumer paradigm, the people that are spiritually gifting, at least the message is, they're the ones up front, they're the ones leading, they're kind of the, the arbiter of religious goods and services. In these texts we see the Spirit functioning in all different kinds of ways. Paul says, is everybody in the body a mouth or a set of eyes? That's something that you can see. I mean, some people are elbows and other people are, you know, the back of the knee that you can't see. Um, <clears throat> the logic goes on, but I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's not necessarily upfront leadership. I mean, we all have gifts to play in different ways that contribute to the body. So I would say spiritual gifts function more like an assignment or a task in the body. The Holy Spirit gives us something to do. Look at this text again. Um, different kinds of gifts. So the synonyms of gifts. Gifts, service, and working. That's the language of assignment. That's the language of job or role. Not, I'm naturally good at something and so I should do that. It's a, it's a role. It's an assignment. It's, what's, my, what's the Spirit giving me to do right now for the church? And gifts are found at the intersection between what a church, like Storyline, needs for its mission and the grace and vision that God gives each of us to meet those needs. Um, so, I think I'm going to... Okay, I'll tell that story in just a minute. So one way to categorize gifts is to think about the triangle, right? We talk a lot about God and disciples and neighbors. Gifts can function out of the, the triangle. So God gifts us or graces us with the up to be a prayer warrior, to intercede for people, or to lead worship. Or he gives us words of wisdom and knowledge to share with other people that come from God that build and encourage people. I think theological reflection is a gift. To be able to look at scripture and say, what does this have to do with us? What's the good news about God and how does it apply to us? Discernment. How's God leading us? How's God guiding us? These are ways that we relate to God. We tune into God and God gifts us with these kinds of things. And that's not exhaustive. These are the only five gifts. <laughs> and the other. No. Um, <clears throat> interestingly... Um, in Scripture, there's like four different gift lists where Paul or Peter is saying, here's a gift of the Spirit, here's a gift of the Spirit, and they're all different. So that, that's important. Which is to say, there's not a canon of gifts that is sealed and static for all time. Because they didn't have web design back then. But that can be a gift today, right? It can serve the church for the good of the world, right? Um, the end, maybe it's teaching or serving children, or encouraging people, or leading discipleship groups. It's administration and coordination. Um, there are lots of different kinds of gifts. In the out, showing hospitality, throwing parties, organizing service and working for justice. Um, in our 3E process, maybe it's being a friend in need, uh, or, or an all-in friend, rather, 
uh, or a servant leader coordinator with our friends in need. Uh, Bible studies with neighbors and searchers. Uh, sometimes God gifts us to start something new. So we commission a team of people to go and start a new missional community. The Spirit graces them with the gift to be able to do that. Uh, how do you know you've got the gift? And that's a question. How do I know if I've got a spiritual gift? If it's not always something I'm just good at, right? What, how would I know? Um, a couple of things. Number one is passion or conviction. The thought that somebody needs to do that. And I'm willing to be the person to step into that and to receive grace from God to get it done. So I think about a story that Jack Reese, who's a theology professor, he talks about. He's like, say you're at, at church. And this is a great story on many levels. You'll come to see. Say you're at church, uh, church gathering, and afterwards people are tearing down the chairs, you know, stacking them up and putting them away. Uh, but there's, there's really... There's really only one person kind of working. There's a whole bunch of chairs out. And, you know, you see everybody talking and they're really enjoying each other's company. And you think, you know, um, we need to talk and enjoy each, other, each other's company, but somebody needs to put away the chairs. And so what do you do? You start putting away the chairs. The Holy Spirit, Jack would say, is gracing you with the gift of helps in that moment. He, he's giving you the, the impulse, the thought to be like, oh, I need to be helpful in this way. Something like that, that's a temporary assignment that the Holy Spirit gives us for the good of the church. Not everybody has to do that, but sometimes the Holy Spirit prompts us like that. We get a conviction, and it can be for something bigger, right? I, we started churches when we got into to starting Storyline because of this deep passion and conviction in us to connect to people who were disconnected and downtrodden. And church planning was a way to do that. We had no idea what we were doing, right? We just stepped into it. God, give us the grace. Gift us as apostles to do this, even though it's outside of our sweet spot, perhaps. We had to learn from God how to do it. Um, another way is just by affirmation from the community. People saying, you know, there's something special when, um, when you do that, when you play that role, when you bring that to the community, God is at work. Like, I sense God at work in you. And we know that because it encourages people. It helps people. It builds people up. It strengthens people. It connects to outsiders who are searching. So we, we receive affirmation. And that's part of the way that we know that we've got a gift to offer. Um, we're going to show a video about, uh, about somebody way back in the storyline days who puts this probably better than we can put it from our own hands. I needed something to do. <laughs> like, I was really, really lonely, and um, I said, I still believe in God, and I still had uh, a spotty relationship with God, you know, but I, I still, I really needed to be loved, and I really needed um, to know that I've been in somewhere, but I didn't, I didn't see that in church, and I didn't know how to get to God through church at that point. So, yeah, I was. I was looking, but I didn't know it. <laughs> I worked with just a friend of and uh, it was just cool because I just didn't have a conversation with that person and talk, and it, and it wasn't always about God, and it wasn't a 
and I wasn't tricky, and so, <laughs> I don't know, it just, it just ended up being, I ended up being invited, and I think it took a couple of times before I actually went. There was something that kept me coming back, and I guess I, I can only really describe that as just a, a genuine interest in, in, in me and in other people, like, right away. I didn't, you know, blink in and go unnoticed, um, or... I don't know. I didn't have to be there for a long time to, to count, so I, <laughs> I wanted to help people and somewhere make a difference. And I was really starving to do something that mattered, you know, to be part of something that mattered. And I expressed an interest in my special you know, and it was like no sooner that I said that that I was asked to help. So, I guess I felt like a part of it automatically. I didn't have to like, earn my stripes. Our basis is in the Bible, and that's what we all agree on in upon. But beyond that, like whatever our justice initiatives look like, whatever our dinners end up being, whatever our um, our fun outings end up being, we all add to that. We all have those ideas, and and, and we can see our ideas, you know, come to life in that sense. Something I often hear in, in storylines that um, is really important and genuine is, you know, how can I help you with that? Or how can I support you in that? Or how can I make that happen? And so um, I, I enjoy that because it is as much individual as it is community. You know, you, you help shape it. And something sort of funny, I guess storyline is a church that is user-friendly. <laughs> And it's also user-regulated. <laughs> like, anybody who's a part of it helps shape what it is. I think that's very different and very important and essential to storyline. My name is Deborah, and this is my place in the storyline. All right, well, um, some of y'all around were around for the Deborah days, and she lives in California now. But we met Deborah through, she was a coworker of Patrick's at the time. And you know, we prayed that she would come, and we had an empty chair for and we'd say it over and over again, and she did finally come. She'd had a rough go, I think, when we met her. She had, at one point, been living in her car, she said. She, she grew up with a kind of a crappy family background, um, not a great parent role model system, uh, not great friend structures in the Dallas community. And she became a leader in storylines. She helped host a house church. She led different ministries. Now, part of this was for the people who were here. Now, we were small and desperate. I mean, we needed, there was no room for people to be on the margins and not be doing something. Like, we needed everybody to come in and share their gifts that they had to help get this going. Um, we needed everyone to ask how the Spirit could use them. So I think some things I really like that she says in this video that we can connect here is, I was starving to do something that mattered. Uh, talking about storyline being user-friendly and user-regulated. And I really love, and she says, everyone who is a part of it helps shape what it is. I think that sounds a lot like the church in the New Testament from some of these scriptures that we read, that everyone who's a part of it helps shape what it is. Like, it's not, you know, I think I kind of would be disappointed if she'd gotten up there and said, you know, Charles makes storyline what it is, or, the, you know, the, leader, the people who are leading make storyline story what it is. But she says, everyone who's a part of it helps shape what it is. And I think that that's a lot of what we see in some of these scriptures we've read in the New Testament. So the good news for all of us is that God has a role for us to play. I think that is so awesome that we get to be a part of the team. 
And so I think it's worth stopping and asking yourself and spending some time thinking, what is your assignment right now? You know, what role do you have to play? Because every one of us has a part to help usher the kingdom of God in um, through the mission that we have with our lives, with storyline. Um, you know, whatever that is, we want to discern with you in that. You know, if you feel like I'm kind of floundering, because in, in, we had a little rough patch in preparing for this, because I, I felt some of that. I was like, well, I'm talking about this, and what am I supposed to be doing with my life? You know, and, and how, how is God wanting to be using me? And, um, you know, and we want to discern that with you, um, if you'll help discern me, <laughs> me, me with it. Um, and when we talk about our values of storyline, one of them is our way of life, when we talk about the way of life of storyline. And one of those things is what we call yielding our resources to the mission. And that, you know, may be applied for, um, some, for some financial support and stability with storyline. But we don't just mean monetarily. Like, we want you to yield your resources to the mission with your gifts and with your assignment and your calling and what God wants you to be doing in this community. That, that's what we mean by yielding our resources. You know, what gifts do you have that you can yield to the mission? Because you all have some. We hear that. For all of you who are far off, men and women, slave and free, adult and child, like, I think about what, how many roles our children have to play in our community, and that's, that's really inspiring. And um, if you're not sure, please talk to one of our leaders. Y'all know who they are, the Howards and us and the Walkers and the McMullins. We'd love to pray with you about how the Spirit could help you yield your resources. Amen. We don't want you to do it alone or try to figure it out by yourself. We want to, you know, that's why the church exists, so that we can all come together and do that. Hallelujah. I would like to respond to the invitation. <laughs> uh, I want to give you guys a moment just to reflect um, and give you some space. Julie, you're, you're going to run, yeah? Okay. Um, so let me, give you, let me give you just a minute or two um, to think about what's my takeaway this morning? What's the Lord saying to me um, through this about an assignment I'm in right now or an assignment he might be calling me to? Um, and then we'll we'll share as we wrap up. Holy Spirit, thank you for the way that you share the glory and the strength and the grace of Jesus and our Father um, with us. We thank you for, the, for the way that you make us your temple and uh, your house and you, you make your dwelling with us. Uh, we thank you for the way that you make Storyline and every other church in our city a dwelling place um, where you live and work, where you 
um, where you strengthen and make holy, where you empower for building up the church and blessing and serving the world. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the way that you uh, let us play and and participate um, on the team that you're building and the, the renewal that you are ushering into our world as the kingdom comes in. Lord, we just pray that you give us clarity, that you'd speak to us about um, about how you're calling us to serve you and to use our gifts for the good of the body, for the sake of the world. In Christ we pray. Amen. So, um, you guys have any takeaways from this conversation that you'd like to share? Anything that's sticking with you that uh, would encourage somebody else to hear? Yeah, not not wanting to do it um, doesn't necessarily mean that the Holy Spirit is not gifting us to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. What, Caleb? What about you, buddy? You got a thought? <laughs> is there one more thought out there as the kids come in? Besides that, the kids are coming in. <laughs> This seems like a good place to move to the next thing. Barry, you got something? Speak up. Speak up so we can hear you. Uh, one, of the, one of the teachings that's, uh, that's a teaching from the book of Micah, someone's commented on it recently, that I really love is when I see a big task, I often will wait until I feel like I have more time to do it uh-huh. um, instead of just starting something now. But this teaching is stuck with me for a while. It says, don't be daunted by the enormity of the 